When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The culture would say, be your true authentic self. And I would say, yes, be authentic when defined properly, but that shouldn't be the main point of our lives. Don't be authentic, be holy as God is holy. That's what we as Christians should be pursuing, is the holiness of God. We should be seeking every single day to be made more into the image of Christ. Elisa Childers is an author, podcaster, blogger, and respected speaker at apologetics and Christian worldview conferences as well as the host of her own popular YouTube channel. Elisa, thanks so much for coming back to Takeaways. Oh, it's great to be here. You know, there are so many things that have cropped up in culture that are really bombarding people, especially young people, with ideas that I wasn't having to deal with when I was young. Uh, The you live your own truth mentality has maybe expanded the scope of apologetics to where now there are new arguments that you're needing to come up with. It's not just the old ones. Right. Is that true? Yeah. You know, if you think about when we were kids or even our parents' generation, when you would share the gospel, people pretty much assumed that there was something to be known about God, that they were trying to figure out what it is, or they assumed that there was something wrong with humanity that needed to be fixed. But today, we're living in a culture that pretty much tells everybody you're perfect just as you are. You just need to dig down inside yourself and find the gold. And and also they've denied the idea that objective truth exists when it comes to religion. So we kind of have to back up a couple steps with evangelism and even just make the case for truth before we can even really share the gospel That's so true. We can't even talk about God because people are like, what is God? And it's amazing how deconstruction and the replacement of a biblical worldview with a secular humanist worldview or some new age worldview. That's right. Even with the new age view and the secular humanist view, you're not really moving from a religious worldview to a neutral one. Mm -hmm. You're really just shifting the authority for truth, the authority for all these things. The culture is is promoting this God of self that tells you that if you just identify your deepest desires— that that's really who you are and you should live that out because it's going to be a good thing. Whereas as Christians, we know that if we identify our deepest desires, most likely a lot of those desires are actually going to contradict what is objectively good and what is objectively true. So we actually need to turn from those things in repentance. This is why Jesus' message was repent and believe the gospel. We have to turn from our natural inclinations because we know uh, biblically that we are broken, we are fallen, we have a sin nature that bends us towards sin, but this is just totally at odds with the messaging that we're getting from our culture. Can you imagine if you just said to your kids from the time they were little, dig down, find your strongest desires and run with that. Just go with that. They'd be whacking each other with sticks. They'd be stealing every, I mean, just turn on the news. There's the deep desires of the human heart running amok without self-control, without, uh, Uh, repentance. I always tell my kids, like, you don't want me to be my true authentic self first thing in the morning. Trust me. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I mean, at least let me get a cup of coffee in me and then then we can talk. So, Elisa, you wrote this this new book, Live Your Truth and Other Lies, Exposing Popular Deceptions That Make Us Anxious, Exhausted, and Self-Obsessed. Why did you write this book? 
Well, I wrote this book because primarily the area that I study is the area of what's called progressive Christianity. And I put that in quotes because it's not progressive and it's not Christianity either, but that's the phrase that's used to describe this movement that's really denying core historic doctrines of the Christian faith and the gospel. And so my first book kind of dealt with the theology of the movement. But I began to notice that there were these really popular, high-level social media influencers with millions of followers that were saying a lot of the same things that progressive Christians are saying, many of them even being progressive Christians themselves. But their ideas were making their way into broader culture with celebrities uh, touting these books as as life-changing materials. And so I thought, I want to kind of, I want to address those cultural slogans that are being promoted by a lot of people who actually call themselves Christians, but are getting into broader culture that are really based on the God of self. It's the idea that you're perfect just as you are. There's nothing you need outside of yourself to be made whole or to be healed or reconciled. You just need to do some introspection and some good self-care, and that's what's going to fix the world. And this was coming from platforms that were proclaiming themselves as Christian platforms. And so I wanted to sort of go to those higher level, pop level social media influencers and look at the messages that they were giving that might reach a broader audience than the progressive Christian theology that I addressed in my first book. And that seems to be the foundation, the base, the root for some of these these twisted social ideas like gender identity and self-expression. Because ultimately, if my God is the God of self and I'm really just looking to find my inner truth and express it and live it out to its fullest, well then, holy smokes, I could be a cat. Yeah. I could be a gerbil. I could be anything I want to be then it gets into scary land of anything goes because it's really just about what I perceive to be true rather than what's objectively true. How did we get here? How did we get to the place where truth is now subjective? Yeah, I think that we got here largely based on the rise of postmodernism in the 60s through philosophers like Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault. So many people may not have even heard those names today, but the ideas are really playing themselves out in our culture. And here's an example. So Jacques Derrida, who is referred to as the father of deconstruction, he didn't believe that words could be pinned down to singular meanings. And so according to Derrida, what the words actually mean, so so the intent of the author has no more bearing on the meaning of the words than the interpretation of the hearer or the reader. Now, people might not know that comes from Jacques Derrida, but I think that's where we're at in our culture. Our culture has denied the idea that objective truth exists when it comes to communication in words. And if you think about how important it is that words have meaning for the Christian Mm -hmm. faith, think about the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's It's the message of salvation that's delivered verbally. The word of God, the written word of God is words. So so I'm just thinking, if I'm the enemy of our souls, right, and I can just deconstruct the meaning of words and get the, the culture to deny that absolute truth exists when it comes to words and communication, or even that objective truth exists when it comes to morality, what we should or shouldn't do with our bodies, who we are as human beings, how we should live, or how who God is and how we interact with him, if all of that is just your truth versus my truth. Well, you mentioned scary land. That's extremely scary because especially just think about morality. If that's just your opinion versus mine, then it's just whoever has the most power, whoever's the biggest and strongest that can push their view into culture. 
And that can't be right. We've seen that fail miserably over world history. Look at Nazi Germany around World War II. It was perfectly considered to be moral and even legal to euthanize even members of their own population that were disabled or elderly. And that's even before the Jewish Holocaust. And all of this was done in the name of morality. And so I think that it's so important for people to think through the implications of denying objective truth with morality and with God and with the objective meaning of words. And it seems to sound like a great idea and liberating and fun when you're moving in one direction, like I get to do me. Yeah. I get to live my truth and what I want to do. But even there, you're operating off some sort of presuppositions where you think some things are good, some things are bad, and I want to do this, and this is, this is okay, this is beautiful, not ugly, or this is good, not evil. But you then start to see the dark side of that yeah. when it gets flipped around and you say, well, Hitler was just living his truth. Yeah, right. And you go, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. But it's, it's bad, it's evil, it's wrong to kill uh, uh, Jews and gypsies and, and people that you don't like. Well, but he's just living his truth. And so who are you to try to squelch him and him living his, his best life now? But you can't have both. Either there's gotta be truth or there's not gotta be truth, right? And, and if we're gonna say that there is something that's true, who gets to define it? I think it's so important for people to think this through because if it's just you're in my opinion, then there's nothing higher than us to get to decide between us which is actually good and true. And that's why Christianity solves this problem. Christianity is the best explanation for the way things are. And it explains morality because morality is actually rooted in the nature and character of God. He is the moral law giver that judges our choices. And so I think that for the atheists, this gives them a huge problem because they don't have a way to ground morality in an objective truth. And so then it is just a matter of opinion. What about the scenario where you're, you're with a friend and they're doing something that maybe is not what you think is the right thing to do, but you wanna be loving and accepting. And so you say things like, well, listen, you know, you just, you're living your truth. You know, you do you, you know, you go girl and live your truth and, and I'll live mine. And is, is that really loving and accepting? Let's go to the Bible for that, right? As Christians, this is our standard of truth. And we know that Love is one of God's attributes. So our definition of what it means to be loving to one another has to start with the nature of God. God is love. Well, Paul fleshes this out for us in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient, love is kind. We all love that stuff. But he goes on to say, love cannot rejoice in wrongdoing. He says, love rejoices in the truth. So biblically speaking, truth and love are really working together. They're not like, it's not like these two forces we have to try and balance. They actually work together. So according to the Bible, to affirm or celebrate something about someone else, you, you, you mentioned gender identities and things. When we are forced to affirm and celebrate what's not true about someone else, according to the Bible, we are not loving that person because love cannot rejoice in wrongdoing. And so I know that's difficult for Christians right now to really live that out. But if you think about this culture that tells us they're tolerant, culture is saying like tolerance is the greatest virtue. However, you must use these pronouns. You must affirm these identities about people that we know are actual lies about them. Uh, Christians just, we're gonna have to get a backbone and say, look, mm -hmm. we can't be forced to live by a lie. That's not tolerant. And a great way to do this interpersonally with someone is if somebody is demanding that you affirm something about someone else, maybe ask them the question, before we talk about this, do you consider yourself to be a tolerant person? And I've seen this with my own eyes recently, as I've been for the last six months touring around the country and reading children's books of Christian virtue in 
public libraries, just like many other groups of people do, like drag queens and others. And I've seen the groups that say, well, our community is about tolerance, about diversity, about equity and inclusion. Uh -huh. Therefore, uh, we're not interested in your message. Right. <laughs> you go totally in, hypocritical. You go, hold, on, hold, on, yeah. hold on, wait a second. Why are you excluding me then? Why are you insisting on a monoculture of ideas when you could have a guy like me come in and mix it up a little bit That's for the right. community? Yeah. And, and they're saying, no, they're not interested. And, and then when we do go to some of the libraries, I'll see a group of protesters that have been um, posted up there for a while with signs like uh, ban hate, uh, not books. Uh, speaking, of course, of the parents who are not wanting these child pornography pedophilic books right. in their children's sections of their public libraries. And, and they're saying, you're bigots, you're haters. Uh, it's all about love. I want to include you. Yeah. Why don't you come be a part but of this? But they're trying to ban your book. And they're trying to ban me from even coming to, not even my book. They're actually trying to ban parents from reserving space in their own public reading rooms in their taxpayer dollar funded public libraries Either we're going to have tolerance for everybody right. or we're going to agree that some ideas are good and some ideas are bad. But then that comes down to truth, to objective morality, and we don't get to actually talk it through, which is why I'm so glad that you wrote this book, exposing the deceptions that make us anxious, exhausted, and self-obsessed. That's how so many of us feel. It's exhausting. It is exhausting to try to follow your own path because you're going to get it wrong and then you got to back up from that. But if we would just follow God's word and do it his way... I think that's where we're really going to find the most deep abiding joy. Even when those paths are hard and narrow and small, God knows that our purpose is to worship Him and walk with Him. And when we line up with our purpose, that is going to give us the most peace. So, Elisa, let's jump into your book here. Can you share uh, a few of the other lies that you unpack in the book? Yeah, well, I think one of the big ones, and we see this stitched on pillows, we see it in books, and we see it in media, and it's the phrase, you are enough or I am enough. Now that phrase, I get what people are thinking. If there's somebody in your life who has been spoken over with a bunch of lies, maybe they've been told you're nothing, you'll never be anything. And yeah. you kind of, that's the thing you want to say to them, right? You want to be like, no, you're enough. And, and I get why that feels encouraging, but let's follow the logic down the rabbit hole a little bit. I think that to tell someone you are enough, there's nothing you need outside of yourself to be made complete or whole. All the tools that you need for yourself are, are going to be found inside of yourself. When we tell people that, we're really putting a burden on them that they can't carry. Because deep down, we all know, I know that I'm not enough. Mm. I know that, especially when I, I, this truth became really clear to me when I was a young mom with new babies, a first time mom, and I just felt like I was blowing it all over the place. I tell this story in the book where I, I was just sitting at the mall one day, just feeling like, is this ever gonna get easier? And, and how, odd that message would have been to me if somebody would have just said, you know what, you're yeah. enough. I would have said, no, I know that I'm not. I know I'm blowing it all over the place. And so what we're actually telling people when we say you're enough is we're basically saying that you have to solve all the problems that you're causing. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend, Ellie Bestecki, uh, she wrote in her book, she said, the self can't both be the problem and the solution. And I think that's such a great quote because we're putting a burden on people saying, you have to solve all your own problems. And we know that we can't because as Christians, we know that if we dig down to find those tools within ourselves, we're gonna find a broken moral compass. We're gonna find a person who is uh, bent towards sin. 
And we can't fix that in and of ourselves. That's why we do need to go outside of ourselves to the person who really is enough. And this is why I love to give this message because the answer to I am enough is that Jesus is enough. And that's such good news because he's better than I'll be anyway. So I like to think of it this way. If we think about how the Bible talks about the righteousness of Jesus, of course, Jesus living that perfectly sinless life that you and I could never have lived or accomplished. And then that righteousness that he accomplished, when we trust in him, the Bible talks about that being imputed onto us, kind of covering us like a garment covers a person. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. So I say it like this, I'm not enough, you're not enough but Jesus is enough. And when you trust in Jesus, his enoughness gets put on you so that when God looks at you, he sees the enoughness of Jesus. And Jesus is way better than the best person who's ever lived. And so wouldn't you want that on you? Wouldn't you want to be covered in that rather than be scrambling around inside yourself to try to solve all these problems that yourself started in the first place. I agree. (laughs) I think think that's absolutely right. What's another lie in the book? that you unpack? Well, I think a big one would be authenticity. This is a word that we see in culture all the time. And I always like to start by saying authenticity when defined properly is a good thing. I think Christian should be the most authentic people out there. Classically defined authenticity meant being real, being genuine, not being fake, right? I think Christians should be the most authentic people. We shouldn't feel like we have to go to church on Sunday and pretend to be victorious. If we're having a really bad day, we should be able to confess our sin struggles with one another, walk with one another, ask for prayer when we're feeling weak and walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ in that true authenticity. But the problem is that our culture is constantly redefining words and authenticity is one of those words that's gotten a makeover. So according to culture, authenticity means digging down inside, doing some introspection, identifying your deepest desires, maybe your dreams, maybe your goals, maybe the music career that you want to have or the person you're attracted to or what gender you think you are or whatever it is you think makes you you based on your desires. And then because the world basically thinks what you're going to find is good, your responsibility to be authentic is to live those things out, name them, set up your pronouns, do this or that, and then ask everybody else to come alongside you and affirm that about you and celebrate that about you. And that, according to culture, is authenticity. And that just doesn't work. Jesus has spoken on this. And that is that our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Mm. That we are by nature, in Ephesians it says, children of wrath. That's, that's a bold thing to read. When you're reading the popular media and then you read the Bible that says, by nature, you are a child of wrath. I, I, sometimes when I speak to audiences, I even have to pause after that and be like, okay, are we all, we all okay? Because you can feel the room, just kind of the air gets sucked out of the room because it's so countercultural. But we are not children of God until we trust in Christ for our salvation. And then there's the beautiful picture of adoption the Bible gives us and that we can be children of God to him who believed in his name, to them, they received the right to become children of God. So our identity, according to scripture, to be authentic, we need to know who we are. And as Christians, our identity is not what we're attracted to, who we think we are, what our dreams are, what our work is. Our identity is I'm a child of God and I'm gonna be a child of God in any scenario that God puts me in. And whether that means I achieve my dreams, great. Or maybe God might wanna change that dream. 
Maybe God might want to redirect me and say, you know what, this dream you had for yourself isn't what I have for you. But the deep abiding joy that we can have comes from just knowing that you are a child of God when you're in Christ. And then you go on that journey with the Holy Spirit of sanctification. You renew your mind reading the word of God and the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and you begin that journey, which is such a better path than this constant scrambling to remake yourself, redefine yourself, which is all built on a broken system anyway. So that's why I think in the book, I say the Bible has such a better story for us and it's gonna lead to more peace. You're not gonna feel as exhausted. You're not gonna be as anxious and you definitely are not gonna be as self-obsessed because we weren't created to be obsessed with ourselves. We were created to worship God. And when we're out of alignment with that purpose, it's going to cause anxiety. So that deep abiding joy is gonna be with aligning ourselves with that purpose. You just got me thinking about this whole concept of authenticity, that if you really knew authentically who I am, you'd find a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, as someone who has turned his back on the one who loves him most. And I, I don't think God wants me to live my authentic self in that sense. He wants me to live as a new creature. And some people think, well, I don't wanna be this Christian religious thing because you're not living your true you. Um, no, actually I am now when I am born again, because guess what happened to me? I didn't get a religious makeover. He actually turned me into a new, creature on the inside. This isn't just a, a religious retread of the old Kirk Cameron or Elisa Childers. This is a brand new creation. And now you are authentically partaking of life together with God from the heart. I think this is so important for Christians to understand because we're not starting from a starting place of us just being worthless pieces of garbage, right? The Bible teaches that every human being has been made in the image and likeness of God. Because of that, we have inherent dignity and value and worth. That's huge, we have to start there. But we know that that image of God has been distorted by sin. And that's what God in his mercy is trying to correct in each of us. And you know, sometimes people say, well, you, know, you talk about you shouldn't follow your heart, you shouldn't you know, be authentic or, or whatever you're saying, but what about these specific gifts and talents that God has given everyone? Yeah. And I, I'd love to talk about that because that's exactly why we have to get this first part right. Because let's say someone has a natural God-given gift of being a great communicator. They can get up on a stage and persuade audiences. That's a wonderful gift from God. But if that person doesn't realize that they have a fallen nature, a sin nature, and they don't align that gift with God's true purpose for them, they could use that gift to manipulate people, to abuse people, to get people to do things that would be unholy. But if that gift is lined up with God's purpose and surrendered to God, then God can use that gift to be a great evangelist or somebody who persuades people into the kingdom of yes. God or toward holiness. So everybody has those specific gifts and those are beautiful, but they can be used for good or evil. That's why it's so important we get the authenticity part right. And the scariest person in the world, um, I think someone said, the one I fear most is the one who fears not God. Mm. Because in fact, there, there's a political leader who was recently on the Joe Rogan um, Experience uh, podcast. And he was asked, do you ever fear that, uh, you know, with your gifts and with your talents and your abilities and your power that you would ever fall morally to the point where you'd use those things for bad? And their immediate answer was absolutely not. Oh boy. Absolutely not. Well, you go, whoa, 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 wait a second, time out. If we understand who God says that we are, we are prone towards selfishness. And like you said, if, if we don't get that first part right, 
of understanding who we are authentically apart from God, we can then use those gifts and talents for the wrong things. You've got another one in here that, that's one of my favorites. I hear, uh, hey, don't judge. Oh. You shouldn't judge. Yeah. Why, why is that a lie? Yeah, it's like the atheist favorite Bible verse, right? They quote Jesus, yeah. judge not lest you be judged. Everybody's yeah. cool with that verse, yeah. right? They're not cool with the rest of the Bible, but that one's good. But yeah, I think that's such a misunderstanding of what Jesus is actually saying in that verse, because that is with the culture of tolerance, the biggest sin is judging somebody else's moral choices, right? But if we look at what Jesus is actually saying there and we take him in context, he goes on to say, take the log out of your own eye so that you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus isn't saying you shouldn't make a moral judgment about your brother. He's actually saying, here's how to do this properly. Yeah. So what Jesus is saying is not that we should never judge, but that we shouldn't judge hypocritically. We need to take a hard look in the mirror, make sure we're not guilty of that sin and we're yeah. being a complete hypocrite as we confront our brother because we actually know, according to Paul, we are supposed to judge those inside yeah. the church, which is a fascinating passage because he's saying it's not for us to judge outsiders. The world's gonna be like the world, but we have to make these moral judgments and confront one another in our sin within the church to preserve the holiness and the purity of the church. We do know that this isn't what Jesus, he wasn't saying not to ever judge no, because I, he says he talks about pigs and swine. You have to judge who are the pigs and the swine. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. And then he says later, judge with right judgment. So we have to take all of that in context. How can us believing some of these cultural lies through these slogans that sound nice and accepting and loving, how can they, they actually hurt our relationships with one another? Take the example that we've kind of keep coming back to in this conversation of maybe there's a parent out there that has a, a child who thinks they're the opposite gender. I know some. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And it's like, you have to think about what's the most loving thing you can do as a parent. Is it to tell your child, yeah, we'll just affirm this about you. We'll go on this path. When we are seeing from so many detransition stories, anger, we're seeing hurt. We're seeing kids having to forgive their parents for going along with these things that caused uh, irreversible damage to their bodies and to their, their psyches. And so what's the most loving thing to do? And um, my friend Frank Turek says, it's kind of like if, if your daughter came to you and said, and she was radically underweight and said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fat because maybe she has anorexia. The parent isn't gonna look at the child and say, okay, well, let's put you on a diet when she's already radically underweight. The parent would say, let's try to get your mind lined up with the reality of your body. And let's, right. you know, let's get right. some counseling, let's go oh, to scripture, so let's get sanctified. But you're not going to put your underweight daughter on a diet or schedule her for liposuction because her mind thinks that she's fat. And so we have to get... And yet in the crazy culture we live in, someone might jump on you right there and go, how dare you not affirm her reality because that's her truth. Right. Well, but her that truth could actually is going put to her kill in her. danger yeah, her truth is going to kill her. That's the thing that is, the stakes are that what high. What a great analogy. Yeah, the stakes are that high with this because when we just put our, our whatever is going on in our mind and we try to make our body line up with that, yeah. we can end up doing that irreversible damage. Alisa, we're gonna read through this book and we're gonna, we're gonna, all of a sudden, we're gonna delete all of these phrases from our lexicon. We're not gonna say, well, girl, you do you, yeah. you find your inner goddess, uh, you do your awesome thing and live your truth. How then, do we genuinely encourage one another in a biblically correct way? Right, well, let's take some of the ones we've talked about. So the culture would say, be your true authentic self. And I would say, yes, be authentic when defined properly, but that shouldn't be the main point of our lives. Don't be authentic 
be holy as God is holy. That's what we as Christians should be pursuing is the holiness of God. We should be seeking every single day to be made more into the image of Christ. Yes. Take another one. Don't live your truth because actually your truth doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. Your truth is just your opinion and your preference. Don't live your truth, live the truth. You're not enough, but Jesus is enough. Love doesn't just mean anything. Love has a very specific definition and love cannot rejoice in wrongdoing. So just maybe getting off the hamster wheel of culture and yeah. start using biblical phrases would yes. be a good start. Truth with a capital T. Yes. Defined by God is what leads to our blessing, to our protection and our flourishing. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming back on Takeaways and for writing this book. Oh, I loved it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.